This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, bless your word. I was trying to think of what, what's the Lord want to accomplish in our congregation and in our individual lives today? I try to come up usually with kind of a main point, one thing. And the only thing I could come up with on these verses was obey these five commands. <laughs> so there's like five main points today. So the one main point, obey the five commands. John Kitchen says... Paul moves from intensely personal exhortations in verses 2 and 3 we looked at last Sunday to ones now more generally directed to all believers in the Philippian church in verses 4 through 9. Seven commands in, in all the verses, we're, we're just looking at five today, come at us in rapid fire, staccato fashion, in short sentences, which heighten the rhetorical effect. They're like a machine gun. Five of these commands are in, in the verses we read today. Rejoice, repeated for emphasis. Be reasonable. Do not be anxious. Pray and give thanks. All imperatives, all commands. Today's main point. Now, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Jesus said... Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. That's what hypocrites do. A hypocrite is a play actor. It means someone, a hypocrite is someone who puts on a mask. That's what play actors in Greek dramas did. They wore masks for their various parts. A hypocrite is someone who plays a part. Someone who pretends to be something He's not. They profess to believe one thing, but they actually live a completely different way. They don't really love God. What they really love is being seen by others, and we should be nervous about this. I don't want to be a hypocrite, and I mention this because I am not sure, as I studied for this sermon today, that I could come up with a list of commands that highlight my failures as a believer better than these five. So, full disclosure, I have to fight for joy. I am not always reasonable. Hold your applause. I have a sinful tendency to be ungrateful. Most significantly, I 
am a fear specialist. Biblical counselor Ed Welch says, every single person who ever lived is personally familiar with fear, but I'm next level. If I'm not anxious, I'm really wondering if I'm missing something. I, I get anxious about not being anxious. Let me give you an illustration. I told this to the leaders or conference in January. I had surgery on my Achilles tendon back in November in the fall, and I was told I would come out of surgery with a cast. I'd never had a cast, but I'd heard comments that made me nervous. It has to do with claustrophobia. I have a bad case of claustrophobia. I had heard people say their casts bother them so much that they cut it off kind of resonated with me. I came out of surgery with a cast. Every day it bothered me, but I was on a lot of pain medications, and I knew I'd be going to the doctor in a couple weeks, and I thought it would be removed. I didn't say anything to anybody. It was a challenge. It was a temptation. But I did okay. Then when I saw the doctor, she said they were going to put another cast on me for three to four weeks. I, I literally begged her not to do it. Twice. I said, I'm, I'm begging you not to put a cast. She was a t she's a tough doctor. She said, you can do this. I really do think she had my best interest in mind, but I hate her. I want to say I'm kidding, but I'm not sure. <laughs> she said I could do it. And while I watched this demonic individual <laughs> wrapped my foot and put a worse cast than the first one on. Anxious thoughts multiplied within me. I had planned on celebrating on the way home and getting a bagel. We stopped we got the bagel. I took one bite when I got home and lost my appetite. By the way, you want to lose weight, just get anxious. It works every time. Obviously, I'm not anxious anymore. <laughs> For two days, I would say, some people would say I was having a panic attack. I would say I was overwhelmed by anxiety. I simply... Didn't think I could do it. The third day home was my birthday. Worst birthday I've ever had in my entire life. I remember getting up. Actually, it wasn't. I, I remember getting up and beginning the day feeling completely overwhelmed with anxiety. I literally cried out to the Lord. He put a verse on my mind. I'd memorized many years ago. and That's where David said, I sought the Lord and he heard me. And he delivered me from all my fears. So I, I prayed the Lord would deliver me. And he did. 
was never easy. Three weeks. Every day was a battle. But I was never overwhelmed again. Psalm 50 says, Call on me in the day of trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will honor me. I love honoring him today. I'm grateful he rescued me. And I honor him. So, my point is, I am no model of be anxious for nothing. Preparing this message and studying our text just reminded me of how weak I am and how I need God's grace. I don't think the main point today is you're a lousy example of all these commands for any of us. I I think this text is meant to shine a light on our hearts so that the Lord can change us by His grace. The good news this morning is the empowering presence of God. Those prophetic words so go with this message. The people that shared this morning have no idea. But I sat there listening going, why preach? That's the message. You think about it. The Lord is at hand, verse 5. We live worthy of the gospel, verse 7, in Christ. In the gospel. All the songs we sang, communion. It's all fitting together. The Lord is not here to say, you're a lousy example of these five commands. He's here to shine a light on my heart because He wants to change us. It's for our good, for His glory. As we come to an end of Philippians, I just feel like the Lord wants to accomplish something. He wants this series to change us as a church and as individuals. And and this text is perfect. It's, it's perfect. So today we will unpack our text by looking at these five com- commands in kind of machine gun fashion. Because that's the kind of text it is. Five commands. Rejoice. Be reasonable. Don't be anxious. Pray. Give thanks. Number one. Rejoice. Verse four. Notice, rejoice in the Lord always. I mean, we could spend days looking at this. Rejoice in the Lord, in the Lord always. And then he repeats it again. I will say, rejoice. It's no surprise, is it, that he would command this at the end of this letter, given how many times we've seen him talk about joy. It's, it's a pronounced theme in this letter. But every other reference to joy in the letter to the, the Philippians, every other reference is referring to a circumstance or a situation that's in that immediate context. But this time, though Paul's writing from prison and he's writing to the Philippians who are being persecuted for their faith, he doesn't m- mention any specific situation. It's for every circumstance. He expects joy to characterize the believer's life in every circumstance. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Eric Ortland, in his new book on suffering, says this, One necessary prerequisite for suffering well involves wise discernment 
about the different kinds of trials we undergo, how to recognize them, and what response our Lord wants from us in each. Steadfast and patient hope in God is appropriate in every season. So some things are good for every trial. But there are certain times of trial in which repentance is necessary, other times in which we absolutely should not change. God's Word helps us in this. It reveals to us distinct experiences of suffering, deepening us in wisdom as to their distinct reasons in God's wise providence. What God expects from us in each. And what happy closure God has waiting as He enables us to endure. Now, the point is that I think joy is the proper response for every trial. Always. Every trial. There are different trials we go through. Sometimes we suffer for our sins. Sometimes the Lord allows a trial so we'll grow to be more like Christ. Sometimes we're persecuted or mocked because of our faith. And the Word of God teaches us different responses to each of these, but always joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Every circumstance, every situation. And I'm sure probably everybody in this room can think of a situation where you think, no way, no way could I have joy. Now, it is March, and that means March Madness. Like many of you, I watched more college basketball yesterday than I have all year. Thankfully, Tennessee squeaked out a win against Arkansas yesterday, which I thought they were going to throw away. And I'd like to repent of my attitude along the way. But it's their fault. Just kidding. But most riveting was the Duke versus the University of North Carolina game yesterday. I'm not an ACC fan, but I am a basketball fan, and so I follow Duke. You have to. They always win. Yesterday was Duke's coach, Mike Krzyzewski's last game at Cameron Indoor Stadium. This was his last year, his farewell tour throughout all of college basketball, and he was ending yesterday at, in, at Duke's home stadium, probably the most iconic basketball venue in the country, built in 1940. It only holds 9,300 people. It's packed every game, including 1,200 students they call Cameron Crazies, who literally camp outside. That The first 1,200 get in free, nobody else. They camp out for months. It's called Shesheskyville. You could order pizza there. I mean, it's part of the culture. And, and yesterday was the game of all games. They had 100 former basketball players there. It's his last game. And they have celebrities. Jerry Seinfeld was there. He's a Duke grad, apparently. I didn't know that. Much hyped. Tickets were selling on the court for fifty dollars to $60,000. 
I thought about going, thought, nah, you know, <laughs> budget's a little tight right now. They're playing their arch rival, this historic coach's last game, in their home stadium. They got crushed. They got crushed. I mean by 13 points. You couldn't believe it was happening. Lord, I thought you were sovereign. You make sure Mike Krzyzewski wins his last game at home. These thoughts are going through your mind, especially if you're a Duke grad. People were weeping. They were, the camera was going around. They were weeping. You may not care, but they cared. Rejoicing was subdued. Coach K did a wonderful job of rallying the troops at the end. Uh, I, I, was, I was very impressed, impromptu. He get, went up and grabbed the mic and kind of tried to turn the crowd, but there was no getting away from the fact that they got crushed by their arch rival. This, this command means rejoice even when you lose to your arch rival. And, and obviously much more serious situations than that. But when you feel that, like this is adversity, at that moment, there is a joy that can be yours, that can be ours. I don't think it's something we can work up in ourselves. I think it comes from the empowering presence of the Lord. When Paul was converted, Jesus showed him how much he was going to have to suffer for the gospel. So, Paul was not surprised as he wrote this letter that he was in prison. He wasn't surprised at all. The Lord had showed him, you're going to suffer. The first readers of Philippians, they remembered when he came and planted the church. Some of them would have heard him singing in prison at night with Silas. Singing songs of joy. Worshiping the Lord in jail. He really is a model of rejoicing in the Lord always. And he is calling for in verse 4 twice. Much more than joyful emotions. Certainly it includes emotions. But this is a joy that's deep. It's a rejoicing in the Lord. And it applies to all circumstances. And his double emphasis comes from his experience of knowing the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. First command, rejoice in the Lord always. Number two, be reasonable. Let your reasonableness, verse 5, let your gentleness, let your forbearance be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Reasonableness is in the Lord too. Reasonableness, one commentator said, is how other people are to experience the Christian's joy in the Lord. Reasonableness. It, it's a very intentional word. It means that believers don't insist on every right they have. They don't insist on every right that comes to them by some law or by a custom. They're yielding to others. They're gentle. They're kind. 
They're courteous. They're tolerant. Not in the sense that our culture defines tolerance. This is a tolerance that respects people when you disagree about truth. What our culture means by tolerance is that every position is true. There is no absolute truth. So, you are to be tolerant. That means you agree that their truth is true. That's not what Paul is meaning. In the past, people debated ideas. They debated positions, whether they were true or not, without demeaning the people that they disagreed with. Now, all ideas have to coexist. They all have to be equally truthful and valid. And if you don't embrace that, that's the one thing our culture isn't tolerant of. <laughs> but this isn't what Paul means by being reasonable. And in fact, we need to understand that our reasonableness is going to be tested in this environment. Let your reasonableness be known to those who don't want to tolerate you and your positions, who demean you. To be reasonable is to be mild, to be gentle, to be fair, to be impartial, courteous, kind, generous with others. It's the opposite of stubbornness and inflexibility. It's a mild disposition. It's Christ-like. It's being fair with others. It's going beyond what you are owed by the law. It's when you don't demand your rights. When I was young, my mother had surgery on her ear and there was a mistake made and she developed an abscess on her brain that required complicated surgery, dangerous surgery. And her recovery took months. It affected our family negatively in countless ways, mainly my anxiety. Years later, when I learned that all had, that had happened and I was an adult and was able to process it all, I asked my mom, Mom, why didn't you sue the doctor? And she said, well, honey, he didn't mean to do it. That's what Paul is after. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Sometimes this means I don't demand what the law says I can have. Paul, Paul wants reasonableness to be their reputation in their community. It's a way to make the gospel attractive. He wants it to be made known to all men. People who are part of the church and people who aren't part of the church. It's, it's especially needful in a society that is hostile to the faith. It's especially important when they hate you because of your faith. We're called to respond with gentleness. Here's Paul. He, he recognizes this is going to be a temptation and he encourages this small, beleaguered group of Christians in Philippi 
to let their reasonableness be known to all. Even when they're treated unfairly. Writing in the 3rd and 4th century, one church father, Lactantius, I think is how you pronounce his name, a convert from paganism. He was an expert in Latin rhetoric and he, he had powerful pagan friends that he interacted with. And it was all moving towards a showdown with Christianity. There was persecution, serious persecution of the church beginning third and fourth century. And he wrote seven books to defend Christianity. Alan Kreider in his book about the early church says patience transformed his view of religious competition on the part of both the pagan religious establishment, which as he wrote, had begun to persecute the Christians and the endangered Christian minority. In his view, and I think this was Paul's view, God was doing something big. I think he's doing it today. From east to west, every sex, every generation, every family and district are being drawn to God without compulsion. Truth has its own power to prevail. So persecution is hopeless, doomed to fail. There's no need for violence and brutality. Worship cannot be forced. He could be reasonable because the Lord was at hand. He believed that. He had faith and confidence that the Lord was with them. Truth has its own power to prevail. He could be patient. He could be reasonable. It seems the gospel advanced against all odds in the Roman Empire because these early believers were reasonable. It was attractive. May that be said of Cornerstone. May that be said of our congregation. I pray for that. Let's obey this command in the midst of a culture where everybody hates everybody. Let's stick out. Let's shine as lights in the darkness with our reasonableness. Thirdly, do not be anxious. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Knowing that the Lord is at hand should encourage us and should encourage the Philippians not to be anxious. They had crossed the line somewhere. There's a legitimate concern they could have. For different things that we know from our study of this letter. They had concerns about the welfare of Paul in prison. They had concerns about Epaphroditus, their friend they had sent to help Paul. They had concerns about persecution that they were experiencing. To name a few. But it seems they had crossed the line from legitimate concern to sinful anxiety. Paul knows that anxious thoughts multiply in times of trouble. But nevertheless, he calls them to stop it. <laughs> Do not be anxious. No exceptions. Do not be anxious about anything. Absolutely nothing is allowed to be the source for continuous worry. 
for anxiety, for being overwhelmed by anxiety, even if they put a cast on your leg. So what do you do when you're tempted to be overwhelmed by anxiety? Number four, you pray. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Instead of anxiety, prayer. Prayer is the antidote. Prayer is the solution. Take it from a nutcase. College students, Vision Quest, I'm coming, and I'm coming to teach you to pray. You get to learn about prayer from an anxious guy who prays because it's the cure. I hope to train you to pray, but in everything. Instead of worry, nothing is allowed. Instead, Paul encourages prayer in everything. Instead of chronic anxiety, chronic prayer. This is the key to mental health. This is the key. Anxious for nothing, prayer for everything. And we have biblical counselors in this church who know how to pray. And I encourage you to meet with them. Only by praying with thanksgiving in every situation is it possible to stop being anxious about anything. Prayer breaks this habit of worry. Prayer is the end of anxiety. Notice that Paul uses three words for prayer in this verse 6. Prayer, supplication, requests. He's encouraging all kinds of prayer. Prayer, the word, means intercessory prayer for others. That's what that word is used for, praying for others. It's, it's aimed at overcoming the many anxious thoughts we have about people we care about and love. Baby dedications are this kind of prayer. We love these babies and we're praying for them. We're, we're casting the burden of raising them to the Lord. Supplication. Or petition, this is, this is an urgent request to meet a need. It's kind of intercessory prayer on steroids. Pa Pallison said supplication, David Pallison, a biblical counselor, he said supplication, there's, there's prayer and then there's supplication, that's really praying. Paul and, and the Philippians were experiencing the same struggle, persecution for their faith. They're praying intercessory prayers for one another. And one of the reasons Paul has confidence he's going to be delivered, he said, in chapter 1, is because of their supplication. They're, I'm really praying. And because of that, he has this confidence because of prayer that he's not going to be executed. The final word that Paul uses in Verse 6 there is request. And this is like a reference. You get this golden opportunity to go before a king or somebody in authority. And you have this golden opportunity. This word specifically refers to this, this moment you have before someone in authority. And you get to make 
a request. And it's a request that this person you're with can do something about. They can, they can grant your request. I was reminded of when we, in the early days of our campus ministry, uh, our college ministry, we were about to be thrown off of campus. We had been street preaching. We'd go out on the corner and preach. And it was back in the days when they, some of the professors and students would open the windows of their classrooms. And so they couldn't do their class because we were preaching loud on the street. And when they told us to stop, we said, who are we to obey, God or man? <laughs> so they were going to throw us off campus. Let's say we weren't reasonable. One of the students involved in our campus ministry was a famous UT football player. And my good friend, he had intercepted the ball to beat Alabama in 1982 for the first time in like a million years. And he intercepted the ball. And for years, everywhere I went with him, people would say, oh, you're Mike Terry. You're, oh my goodness, Mike Terry. And I, I, I got so, I would say, you know what? That was a long time ago. Can we move on? But at the time, he was famous, and he got me an audience with the dean of student contact where I said, I'm ready to obey man. And we got back on campus. He was able to grant my request. That's what this word means. It's the same word John used in 1 John about prayer when he wrote, if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked him. Asked him. We can make requests of, of, of the Lord because in the Lord, in Christ, we have access to the Father, the King of Kings. We have, we have ac access to God Almighty. And Paul encourages, notice, be, in, be specific. Your request. Make a specific request. Don't ask him if he would do it. Make a request. He's promised to do it. We don't have to ask God if he will answer our prayers. We can be specific. Make a request known. John Piper says this. Prayer is the walkie-talkie on the battlefield of the world. It calls on God for courage. It calls in for troop deployment and target location. It calls in for protection and air cover. It calls in for firepower to blast open away for the word. It's a wartime walkie-talkie for spiritual warfare. God does not intend to win without prayers. God will be duly glorified when the knowledge of His glory fills the earth as the waters cover the sea, and the word will triumph through mighty, prevailing prayer. Therefore, the intensity of God's pleasure in prayer is proportionate to the intensity of His passion that all His purposes be complete. Prevailing prayer. He doesn't intend to win without prayers. Let your requests... Be made known to God. It's a golden opportunity. And finally, give thanks. Paul believed in the pervasive power of thanksgiving. Give thanks. Don't be anxious about anything, verse 6, but in everything. 
by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul's prayers almost always include thanksgiving. If you read them in chapter 1, when he's telling the Philippians, he's praying for them. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He always prayed for them and always with thanksgiving because he knew the power of thanksgiving. We are all doing better this morning than we deserve. We all have countless reasons to be thankful. Lots of things to be anxious about. Lots of things to tempt us to be anxious. So many things to be thankful for. Did you come to the meeting today grateful, rejoicing, or anxious and overwhelmed? The Lord wants to meet us all. He wants to shine the light on our hearts. This is how He works His will in us. This is how He changes us through His Word. So He wants to shine in our hearts. He's present in power. We're going to conclude just considering Verse 5, the Lord is at hand. And then this, this promise, verse 7, the peace of God. So you, you, you're praying, not anxious in everything, but prayer, supplication, making your requests with thanksgiving. Then the promise is this, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. John Kitchen says all this is more than mental games, therapeutic exercises, and emotional coping mechanisms, for it's directed to God. God is and He rewards those who seek Him. It's much more than mental games. The peace of God, that's a promise from God's Word this morning. The peace of God surpasses understanding. God's presence has, has not ceased to be with this church. I firmly believe the Lord is present today. Again, I refer back to those prophetic words. I just agree with what Zach said. The Lord is present and He's speaking. The Lord is at hand. He's near. And anxiety, our anxiety is out of place in God's empowering presence. The cure for our anxious thoughts is to draw near to Him this morning in prayer, in Christ Jesus. Notice Paul makes a promise that when you pray in this way, you're going to experience something. It's about experiencing now. The emphasis is on experience. We should expect this morning God to be at work. God to be powerfully present in His church. Maybe you don't need Him. I know you do. I need Him. The Philippians knew this power. Paul knew this power. And we're promised this power this morning. Prayer results in an experience. An experience of peace. 
God the Holy Spirit manifests His presence and there's an experience of peace. He answers our prayers. Doesn't mean He answers all our prayers. Answering all our prayers is not the condition necessary for this peace. The peace is the result simply of making known our requests. Then we experience peace. The only condition is our emptiness in His presence. That's the only condition. That the focus just isn't on what we do. The focus is on what God will do. God will do something supernatural. Beyond our understanding and abilities. The peace of God. It's the gift of God. It'll guard us. This is His peace. That He shares with His people. It's a peace that characterizes His very nature. God is not anxious. He knows the beginning from the end. God is in control. He is sovereign. He's not anxious. It's the opposite of anxiety. It's the peace of God. When we trust Him in prayer, He shares this peace with us. I, I've, I've experienced that. It's beyond understanding. It's an experience. Paul, Paul says it guards. It's a military term. Philippi had a Roman military fort, a garrison. In, there was one in Philippi. They, they knew exactly what Paul meant. The, the, the Roman army was there to keep the Roman peace, the peace of the empire. They knew, they, they guarded Philippi, they guarded the empire to keep the peace. That's what Paul's referring to. God's peace will, will be like that military base in your heart and in your mind. And it will guard you. You will experience a guarded heart and a guarded mind. Thoughts, emotions, and will. That's the promise. I want to pray. I want to pray for our church that we would be filled with the Spirit today and that we would experience the peace of God like this. So Lord, we, we want to obey these commands. Five commands. Lord, we want to rejoice. We want to be reasonable. We don't want to be anxious. We want to pray. We want to give thanks. We need you, Lord. Lord, we pray this morning for this peace that's promised in verse 7. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for every time, Lord, that we have disobeyed these commands. And Lord, we thank you today that we just celebrated communion. We remember the Lord. And what He's done for us. And so we thank You today for the promise of forgiveness and reconciliation, Lord. Our sins are counted as His and His righteousness is counted as ours. And so, Lord, we trust today that we, we have an audience with You.
an opportunity to make a request. And we pray for peace. We pray for supernatural ability to obey these commands for the glory of God. I pray for this church, Lord. I pray for every member of this congregation, everyone in this auditorium. May they experience your presence today. Give us peace in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.